Disclaimer, the contents of this podcast do not constitute medical or professional advice. Do not reflect the opinions of the affiliates, promotional sponsors, and or advertising agencies, and only reflects the opinions of the members and guests. This podcast contains explicit content and offends everyone equally. VTSR expressly disclaims any and all liability relating to any action taken or not taken based on any or all contents of this podcast. You've been warned. Listen at your own risk. Main sponsors, Nostifiance Group LLC, for all your training, consulting, and special operations solutions needs for military, law enforcement, and private clients. Uptown Autoglass, for all your glass needs located in Columbus, Georgia. Atax Camo, you won't even see them coming. Sing it with me. Take it away, JP. What's up, Mike? What's up, Nate? How you guys doing? I'm doing good. Nate, uh, Nate, what's going on in Canada, man? I heard you guys are going are going to shit, man. Uh, I actually got a letter in the mail today, <laughs> and it was from the Royal the Canadian, government. Yeah, it was. It was from the Royal Mounted uh, Royal Canadian Mounted Police, informing me that my ARs are to remain locked up and are not to leave the vault ever again until they are activated or purchased back by my government. So I may have cried a little on the walk back from the mailbox, but there is hope because us Canadians have decided that we are no longer polite and we are suing our government. Also, you're going to, you're going to send them a letter with all capital letters, letting them know that you're mad at them. Yes. What you're going to do. And and it, that, the title is, this is fucked up, eh? We don't approve. <laughs> hey, What's hey, up, man? I still got a spare right. bedroom for you. Oh, man, I am, I am honestly looking at um, south of the border. You know, even though you guys have a little bit more corona going on than we do, but I like beer. It's all uh, good. That's the media. Right. Yeah, man. Did, did you see that one that they had, like, this one, uh, this one clinic? Uh, nurses took 15 actual tests. They actually tested people, right, for corona. And they, they packaged the whole thing, whatever way they packaged and sent it to the lab, right? They took 15 other swabs. All they did was pull it out of the original bag and put it as it was already tested. Right. And they sent it. Out of the 30 they sent, of course, 15 were real tests. Out of the 30 they sent, 26 came back positive. How the hell that comes back positive when they just came out of the bag and you put it right it's, in another bag? It's airborne. That's why we have the mask. <laughs> How are things over there where you're at, Mike? In the Seattle Pacific Northwest? Oh, man. It's... <laughs> <laughs> well, let's start here. The governor of Washington has a mandate, a proclamation saying everybody's got to wear a mask. Um, so, yeah, everybody here is drinking the Kool-Aid like it's going out of style. It is ridiculous now granted i haven't worn a mask since day one so i mean i got i use a loophole in the uh in the mandate and the systems i guess but um but yeah it's ridiculous out here 
I've never seen people more scared to walk near me. Like now, I'm happy that my personal space bubble has gotten out to six feet or greater, but to watch people do a wide berth around everybody really. It just astonished me that everybody's scared to interact with anybody anymore. You know what is funny? I saw a meme the other day that it makes complete sense. And it says, uh, if wearing a mask works, why do we got to stand six feet apart? Right. And if standing six feet apart works, why we got to wear a mask? And if, both of, and if both of them work, why can't I go outside? Right. <laughs> it's like... Come, come. <laughs> But you know what? It, talking about all this COVID and bullshit, one thing that I did realize, and, and you guys, you guys probably realize that too, as you're seeing all the posts on social media. But uh, we got a lot of good guys, man, committing suicide. Oh, fuck. Uh, we're lo lo losing guys left and right with suicide, man, with this whole. And I don't know if the pandemic and all this isolation have anything to do with it, or it was going to happen regardless. I got no idea, but. Our guys need to stop killing each other. Meaning, I mean, killing themselves, better say, because yeah. we're losing too many good guys, man. That, that last one, uh, up north or northeast, there really. I know people that know him, and it was like it was it was unexpected, completely unexpected. So, Captain America. Yeah. yeah, that was a shock. Yeah, that I, was. A huge I mean, shock. I mean, I, I, and you know what? Sometimes I I sit back and I go like. And I get mad, right? I get mad at, at the people who do it. And, and they're like, there's no reason for that. And then I, I got to sit back again and go like, all right, JP, you got no idea what was going through their head. You got no yeah. idea what they're right. going through. So, so I mean, it, it, but it's still, man, it's like, come on, man. Maybe if you would have picked up the phone, maybe if you right. would have called a buddy and, and he would have said, hey, man, it's going to be okay. Because I done it, man. I have, I have those days when I had to call Benny. I mean, you, you know, Benny Rios. Mm -hmm. uh, I had to call him and go like, hey, Benny. And he's like, hey, what's up, papi? And we had to talk, man. And But you know what? After that, I felt good. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah. It, Purposeful it, again. I think is we need to we need to get to that step, to the step of actually picking up the phone and making the phone right. call. And I think we're, we're so proud sometimes that we're like, oh, I'm, I'm all right. You know, uh, I don't yeah. Speaking, speaking of that, you know, I'm, you know, you know, both you guys know that I still struggle to put videos up on Instagram, you know, put myself out there, but I've been meaning to do one or want to do one, but I want to take this time now that anybody's watching this podcast or even listening. If you follow me or we're friends or whatever, if you want to reach out, I'm always here. I'm just a, a message away. And, you know, if I'm working, I'll get to you as soon as I can, but by all means, reach out. I mean, uh, I know there's people way worse off than I've been in. I got you, you guys, unfortunately, to, that I can call. But, uh, but anybody else out there, I mean, if you guys have struggled, I don't care if you're police, uh, first responder, or anything like that, military, reach out to me, man. I'm, I'm here for everybody, man. It's, it's a, you don't need to do that alone. You got people that care. So. Yep. Yep. I appreciate that uh, message there, Mike. Hopefully people listen to it and, and follow through with it. Um, Anyways, guys, we got an amazing guest today. Oh, JP, actually, yes. uh, we we lost the original awesome guest, and we had to bring in a backup. Oh, we have a backup today. Yeah, it's it's the best I could do on short notice. Snap. That's did, why did you, we got a coasty. Okay, yeah. so the, did you send me the information? Hold on, let, let, yeah, it, it's let, in your... let me get up today with the information of the new guest. Hold on. Okay. Oh, it, okay. The, yeah. Got it. Got it. Oh, okay, I'll I'll introduce him. I'm gonna have to read some of this stuff because yeah. Uh, anyways. 
So since we, you guys already heard, we lost our, our stellar uh, guest and we had to bring a backup. Uh, so today we're going <laughs> to... He was actually our guest. He's not the backup. But, uh, anyways, uh, today we got Gary Brugman. And uh, for the people who don't know him, uh, you've probably seen a few of my posts on social media with Gary or, or I was in his podcast a while back and all that. It's Gary was... Uh, it's, so he's a Coast Guard veteran, served about eight years in the Coast Guard. Uh, and then uh, continued to serve as a Border Patrol agent. While he was a Border Patrol, a few incidents happened that ended his career. But you know what? We're supporting him. And I'm I, I going to let him t tell the story because he got a really amazing story. So without any further ado, hey, Gary, welcome to our podcast, man. What's going on, JP? What's going on, guys? Thanks for having me on such short notice. <laughs> <laughs> hey Gary, so uh, you're a team player. That's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, great, great. You uh, co coming in in the clutch, man. Thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, oh, hey, but uh, hey, Gary, real quick, so everybody gets to know you. Uh, tell us a little bit about Gary. Tell you know, you can start. Who's where Gary? You, who's Gary? Where are you from? What What are you about? Where did you go to school? Give me all the details, man. Well, uh, I was born and raised in Bushwick, Brooklyn, New York City. And I was a street kid growing up. I was born in 1966, which makes me going to be 54 years old. Um, yeah, I'm old. <laughs> and, um, you know, I grew up in the streets and I grew up through in the 70s and 80s when New York City, you know, was, was full of gangs and, and it, it was an electric sewer and it was just a mess. Um, and I went to Catholic school most of my life. But then in 1977, we had a New York City blackout. And that just changed my whole life because I was like in the middle of the streets when the blackout happened. And I saw basically what's happening now happened in my neighborhood. Everybody started looting, tearing gates apart, fighting with the cops, burning everything down. And uh, it just opened my eyes and I kind of hit the streets after that for a while. And uh, I, I was raised with my mom and my grandma. So I really didn't know much other than the streets. And I wanted to be uh I wanted to be a, I eventually ended up wanting to be a cop because I got jammed up one time and uh, these, these cops tossed me around a bit and they said, you think you're tough? You think you're tough because you're in gangs? We're in the biggest gang in the city. We wear blue. Those are our colors. And I was like, these guys are a gang, <laughs> you know, but, but made long story short, I started looking into what it took to become a New York state police officer. And I, at the time, you know, 20 years old, I didn't have it. So at 21 years old, I said, you know, I, I, I want to go out and do the right things and I want to serve the country. And, and uh, it was time to go. So everybody had a waiting list. And, um, and I tried the Coast Guard because the Coast Guard was law enforcement. And I learned a lot about law enforcement. And I, I took the ASVAB and I was gone in a week. I went in in, uh, in, in 89, got out in 98. And uh, did, did a lot of rescue, saved a lot of lives, did a lot of law enforcement Chased, uh, chased dopers around the Bahamas. Um, I mean, it was great. I responded to TWA Flight 800. Um, there, was, there, was a, there was a flight out of LaGuardia Airport that missed the runway and ended up in the East River Flight 5050. Why would you get on a flight called 5050? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Take a chance. Yeah, exactly. But, but that led me into, uh, I had, I had, I had uh, applications in with the NYPD, the Marshals, ATF. I had everybody, but the Border Patrol called me, and, and I enjoyed that because I was a uniform kind of guy. I had just been in, in uniform for nine years, almost nine years. And when I got out, I was discharged February 22nd of 1998, and, which was a Sunday. And Monday morning, February 23rd, I was swearing in, te in Texas into the Border Patrol. 
Nice. Yeah, I mean, and, and, but that was the third time around because the first time I applied to the Border Patrol, it was uh, 92 and Hurricane Andrew came along and I got accepted. But with the hurricane wiping out all of Miami where I was stationed, I never got my acceptance letter. The second time around, I got accepted, but I didn't have a class date and my enlistment was ending. And at the time I had a wife and kid. I was like, I can't just get out of the military without having a job. So I kept calling, kept calling and said, yeah, we don't know yet. So I, re, uh, I extended my enlistment for two years and then they, I got a letter two weeks later. <laughs> <laughs> That's the third right. time was a charm. <laughs> yeah. When, when I was doing while you were telling that, I was checking my flight for Friday to make sure it didn't say 50-50. <laughs> so, so, so basically I, I was in the border patrol for a few years and then uh, I got, I got jammed up again. So, so Gary, uh, I know I, I, I heard your story from you, of course. I, mm -hmm. I, I read a lot of your story as well. Uh, tell us, let the world know what happened and, and what really got you in, in the brig, basically. Uh, what, what got you thrown in jail uh, and unjustly, of course. I mean, I, I heard not only your story, but I heard different uh, sides from other people uh, that knows you. And they said, that guy got screwed. Uh, and we sit in the military all the time as well, no. you know, where, where guys get screwed because somebody got something to prove and, and they don't care who's going to pay for it. Somebody will. Uh, so tell, tell us what happened. What, what, what happened in, the, in your situation? All right, brother. I appreciate it. But at any time you guys want to jump in and ask questions, I have answers. I'm, I'm, good, I'm good with it. <laughs> I'm but, dying um, to hear this. I mean, I just read your bio, so this is going to be good. Yeah. You guys got a bio from him? <laughs> Well, I just got a bio today because you guys haven't sent one out until today. So. Hey, man, you can check my website, GaryBrugman.com. It's all there. Good plug. There we go. Good plug. That's what we were going for. All right, continue. Um, well, I was in the Border Patrol for uh, about three and a half years, and on January 14th, the dates are kind of important because they're all about six weeks apart. Um, January 14th, 2001, I chased a group of about 15 illegal aliens, who had set off some sensors. It was about 7 p.m. January, so the sun was setting already. It was already getting dark down on the Rio Grande. Uh, I chased them through a pecan orchard, yelling for them to stop the whole time. Parense, parense, parense. And they, they ran over barbed wire fences, through uh, uh, laterals, through the orchard, and I was losing ground on them. And another agent and his trainee, which had four days out in the field, uh, rolled up on me and said, which way did they go? And I kind of pointed because I was out of breath. They hauled ass in the vehicle. They came to a concrete lateral, lateral where they couldn't go anymore. The trainee got out, chased down the group. He had fresh legs, chased them down. And, uh, and I can see him in the distance. And he was trying to get him to sit down. So he was going, siéntense, siéntense. And he had him in a semicircle in front of him. Some were sitting, some were standing. And he was motioning for him to sit down. There were two behind him that were squatting with their bags. And they were doing the old... And I didn't know if they were going to jump the agent or if they were going to take off running. They were already apprehended, so it would have been an escape. So I ran up, uh, and I came from the side. I kind of flanked them, and I, put my, I did as I was taught. I put my hand on my weapon, and I used mm -hmm. the bottom of my foot to push them from the squatting to the sitting position. And I wasn't nice about it. I knocked them on the ass. I said, siéntense. I said, tú también, siéntense. So I pushed two of them on the ground. That was it. And I asked them why you were running. ¿Por qué corrieron? ¿Por qué están corriendo? Anyway. So they got picked up and transported to the station. That was all I heard about that. Six weeks later, February 22nd, 2001, 
I'm working uh, with my partner. We're working on the south area of, uh, of Maverick County. And around 4.30 in the morning, we hear another unit saying, hey, he thinks he's got 1046 traffic, which is narcotics, dope's coming across. When there's dope, there's guns, and everybody responds because we back each other up. And uh, we got there, and they had just, when we were rolling in, they had just jumped the dope. There were seven mules, ended up being over 800 pounds of dope. Um, we chased five of them down. Two were missing. So the infrared camera tower at the time, these camera towers were new. They were just a couple of years old. They, they have it uh, strategically placed all over the Rio Grande and in the brush. Um, the camera operator is back at the station, and he can see, they're infrared, so you can see the silhouettes, and he kind of guided me in. I had my nods on, and, uh, and I, I, and I kind of saw where they were at. I could see them in the dew. It was about 4.30 in the morning. It was tall grass. There was a light fog, and I could see their silhouettes in the grass. So I climbed over the fence. I started walking towards them. They got up and started running. So I started chasing them. I'm yelling for them to stop. And I chased, I was, I was real close to them and they came to a uh, barbed wire fence and they banged a hard right. So I started chasing them down, down the fence line and they came to another one. The first guy jumped in between the strands of barbed wire like Superman. And they do that. It's pretty impressive to watch. I mean, they just get shredded. But when you see them do it, it's like, holy shit. Right? As a combat engineer, we call that a body breach. over. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So he breached that fence really good. I mean, I, I heard him shred and he, he went through. And the second guy, he, he didn't get the leap that he wanted because I was like, like literally like four feet behind him on his ass. And he hit, he hit the barbed wire fence and, and flipped over. And I was so close to him that when he flipped, I almost got his feet, but he didn't. So, I used my, I had momentum, so I hit the fence and I flipped over as well. Now all three of us are on the ground on the other side. First guy gets up and runs, didn't get a chance to get him. The second guy, he's getting up and he kind of looked at me and he gets up and tried to run, but I, get, I grab him by the legs, bring him back down to the ground. And we're tussling, trying to get to our feet, and, uh, and, and, and it's a bit of a struggle. And next thing I know, I see my boots and the stars in the same picture. And the guy body slams me on the ground hard, knocks the wind right out of me. I mean, hard. And, uh, and, and when I landed so hard that I saw yellow spots. It was like it was raining yellow spots. And then he jumped on me and put his hands on my throat. And he's, I'm on the ground and he's sitting on me. He put his hands on my throat. And uh, I couldn't get him off me. So I, I grabbed one of his hands and then he pinned this hand down to the ground. So I'm lying flat on the floor. He's straddling me. He's, I got this hand on the ground. He's got my hand on my throat. I'm trying to get my hand on his throat, but he's sweating, so I can't get him. So I grab, he had a polo shirt, so I grabbed good grip on his collar, and I'm pushing up. Keeping that leverage there is the only thing that kept full force from being on my throat because I already started to feel like I was passing out. I, and I remember saying to myself, JP, I started saying to myself, I was like, oh, wow, I'm losing. I'm going to die. And I said, oh, my God, this is how it's going to end. And then I, was, I started thinking, I was like, I got to get out of this. And I couldn't get my hand off. And I can, every time I tell a story, even right now, brother, I can smell his body, body odor and I can taste his sweat because he was sweating into my mouth. And um, Take a breath, man. He, he was wearing a polo shirt. I still remember, I'm like looking at the button. He was wearing a polo shirt. And I remember thinking to myself, if I can get to my gun, I said, that's where I'm going to put the bullet. And, and I started thinking, I was like, I'm probably going to have to turn my head. I said, I'll probably lose an eardrum, but I couldn't get this hand out. So I said, all right, so it's better off staying where it is because he'll probably take it away from me. And I said, and now I really felt like I was passing out. Everything was starting to get calm. And I was like, God, please help me. And I started fighting again and I broke this grip and I, I punched him on the temple. 
and he fell off to the side and I managed to roll myself on top of him and put my forearm into his throat. Now he's on the ground and I'm lying on top of him with my forearm. And this is one of the biggest, biggest, I mean, I've had like a lot worse fights, but this is the most life and death fight that I've ever had, you know? Um, so when I put my hand on his throat, now I'm on top of him. I can, his other arm was underneath me. Now I can feel him grabbing at my gun belt and grabbing my handcuffs. So I said, all right, this, I remember saying, I said, this stops here. So I wound my fist up and I punched him three times in the nose, felt his nose break on the second one. And then he started screaming, officer, please don't hit me anymore. I said, well, then stop freaking fighting. And he did. And he did. And then when he stopped fighting and, and, in the meantime, I can hear the radio traffic because I had hear piece. The station's yelling, hey, somebody get to this agent. He's on the ground. I lost sight of him, and everybody's trying to find me. And I can hear him around me, but we were in tall grass. All this is in tall grass, so they can't see me. And I, and I finally stopped, and I said, over here, and I put my hands up. They came and cuffed him up, and I lied on the ground for a whole five minutes. You know? So he got taken to the to hospital. We turned him over to DEA. And in the long run, he ended up getting sentenced to 57 months in prison for narcotics trafficking. They can get charged with assault on a federal agent because honestly, this happens to us. And as my supervisor testified in court, when asked, why didn't you charge him with assault on a federal agent? He says, we get assaulted all the time. We'd have to have a resident FBI agent sitting there, you know, for all the time somebody punches us in the face or whatnot. So, Okay. So fast forward uh, to March 14th, which is, I think, four weeks after that second incident. I go to the range. I come back. I'm cleaning my weapon at the station. Boss calls me into the office, tells me to unload my weapon, put it on the table, put it on his desk. And I asked him why. He says, just do what I tell you, and I'll explain it to you. And he takes it and says, there's an investigation on you. You're going to be working in the office until further notice. I said, what's happening? He says, I don't know. I said, who's doing this? He goes, it's not us. Because it's an outside agency. It wasn't the Border Patrol. It wasn't the Border Patrol. So, hey, where'd Michael? Uh, he's on Wi-Fi at his hotel, so he'll probably bounce back in. Yeah, all, right, all, right, back all right, all right. So, so um, yeah, so that was uh, March 14th, 2001. And then we all know what happened on September 11th, 2001. I couldn't do anything because I was sitting behind a camera looking at a little screen kind of like this, what we're looking at now, and just gearing people back and forth. I couldn't wear a uniform, couldn't go into the processing room, couldn't go to muster. My job was to go to the camera room and out for, for 18 months. And nobody knew anything as to what was going on. No, so at, at the 14 month mark, I get a letter from the US attorney saying, I'm the target of an investigation. So, and it gives me the date that it happened, which is January 14th, and it gives me the guy's name, Miguel Angel, Jimenez Saldana, all right? The, guy, the guy's first name is Miguel Angel, Miguel Angel, right? So I was like thinking, I was like, wait a minute, this ain't the dope smuggler, this ain't the, this ain't the date, because this whole time I'm thinking I'm going to jail, I'm getting brought up in charges because I punched a guy in the face. Yeah. And over and over for a year and two months, for, four, for, for 14 months, I thought about this incident. I said, well, I, I use officer presence. I use verbal commands. I use soft, empty hand. I, use, I said, and he's still alive. I didn't kill him. I said, I could have killed him if I could have gotten my weapon. I would have, but I couldn't do it. I said, what did I do wrong? And, and here's, the, here's the crazy part. The guy's name, the dope smuggler whose nose I broke that slammed me on the ground, Miguel Angel Rodriguez Silva. Same first two names, Miguel Angel. Very common name in Mexico. But, yeah. but it threw me off. I was like, what? And it took me. And, and, and I'm not a conspiracy theory guy, JP, Nate. I'm not conspiracy theories at all. 
But now, you know, as of like five, six years ago, yeah. I started thinking this over and I was like, wait a minute. And a lot of weird things have happened. When I went to go find out who this guy was, the guy that was on the, uh, on the letter that was a target of investigation, took me four days to find out because when I went into our system, everything in that six week period from, from January 14th to March 22nd, gone. Computer glitch. When I, went, when I went to look at the files, those, both those days were gone. The files were gone. When I went to, when I went to see, uh, there was something else that I checked and that was gone as well. The only way I found out how, what this was about was because they didn't check the muster. So I went back to the muster sheets and said, where was I working a year ago? And I looked, I remember who I was working. I was like, this is the guy I pushed on the ground. Why am I being charged with that? Because I was taught that. Yeah. We, we repeated that move in the academy, hand on weapon, forward kick. It was like a kata, you know? Yeah. yeah. Like a martial arts, but we do that. We do the baton. We do this, put our hand, front kick. It was what I was, it was taught to do. Anyway, so um, I get brought to trial, and uh, they, 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 I had to self-surrender. And eventually, uh, in August of that year, I got, um, I got, Taken, I got my badge and everything taken away. I got officially suspended. And, uh, man, and I had one month to find an attorney before the trial. And then I had two agents, uh, the arresting agents, the, 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 tra- the, guy, uh, the journeyman and his trainee that caught the group. They were the arresting officers. So basically what happened was the, when the inspector general came down, he went to them to find out what happened. And... Uh, and I, and I talked to them because I knew the guy. And I was like, man, well, I got an attorney too. And I'm going to need you to talk to him. They were like, okay, okay, okay. But once a U.S. attorney stepped in, they were like, no, we can't do anything without the U.S. attorney. I'm like, you know, you can talk to my attorney. Nope, U.S. attorney shut them up. And I know what they do because they've tried to get me to do it, you know, and in and, and, and other cases. So basically they're, they're, they're saying, hey, you can talk to him, but we don't want you to say anything. And we don't want you to talk to him without us there. And here, here's, a, here's a kicker part, man. I got brought to trial in October of 2002. In first incident happened in January 2001. October 2002, the first time anybody ever asked me my side of the story, Gary, what happened that day? Was when I was up on the stand yeah. and the attorney asked me, I never saw an investigator. Investigator nope, nope. never asked me my side of the story. Nope, never nope. saw an investigator. Um, so I don't know how you can do an investigation without getting both sides of the story, but I never saw one. Um, when, when, when 9-11 happened, everybody got sent to the airports and everybody got sent on details. And this happened in my city, right? And ironically, I was actually between the World Trade Center exactly one month earlier, 8-11-2001. I, I was in New York City on vacation and I was between there. And I couldn't even go help out in my own city and I couldn't go help out anywhere else in the country. And, and you know, during this whole thing, even until now, you know, at the beginning, you guys were talking about PTSD and you know the hard, the hard times and what what's kicked my ass is I've been of sound mind and body and I haven't been able to do things because I can't I can't even I'm on the rubber gun squad I I can't do anything they won't let me you know and and I tell a lot of people you know and you were talking to JP you were saying about how people don't know um what it's like you know you you don't know what it's like what people are thinking and all that and, I, and I, I'll tell you straight up right now I, for the past 20 years, I've, I've thought about giving up on life and putting a bullet in my mouth every freaking day. 
But, you know, my, my thing is I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid to die. I'm afraid to live because with my luck, I'll shoot my face off and walk around without a face for the rest of my life. You know, that, that's yeah, my you luck. Look, you end up yeah. looking like JP or something. Oh, <laughs> man. Yeah, you don't want to do that, Gary. You don't oh, want to no. do that. But I, I, I know. I know. And I, and I keep going, but I'm tired. You know, I'm tired. So Gary, and, and I think you hit a point right there, what you just said, you're tired. And I think that's, that's what get a lot of guys. They, they, just, they just get tired. Uh, tired of telling people how they're feeling and they don't listen to them. Listen. A lot of times it's their own spouses don't understand and they get tired of trying to get them to understand, you know, and they just get tired and they're like, I'm just tired, man. So to, to, to wrap it into a bow, a friend of mine, uh, his wife, um, she, she took her life of, uh, last year and uh, we were, he come down to visit me and everything. Like I was there the day the, that day, like he's just a couple hours away um so we were talking about it and i was like well how are you doing he's like you don't understand and i said no i don't understand exactly what you're going through but i can empathize with it and he goes well i don't know how i'm doing i'm like okay so every day i'd check in on check in on check in on him. and then finally he found this group of like 10 people on facebook whose spouses had taken their lives and it was all men with a couple kids and their wives had done it. So he had found those 10 like-minded people that had been through that, all different backgrounds and stuff. And you could see that switch go in him. Like, okay, I am not alone. There's actually somebody, it's a small group, but there is somebody that actually understands me. Um, And that's the message that we want from here is that this group of uh, quasi bearded and sexy bearded and, you know, uh, whatever JP is, they, uh, we kind of understand we can empathize. And when we say reach out to us, we can either just talk to you or guide you to those other small, uh, yep. groups that can help you out. Right. And glad you haven't eaten a bullet yet because that's, I won't. that's too much. Lead. I want to, I won't. Your body. Can't I'm, not, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. Think about it every day. I'm like, I'm, I'm done. I'm, I'm tired, yep. you know, but you know, the past few years, you know, I've been looking forward cause, uh, well, we're not going to get there yet. Oh, right? we're, we're not going to so, get there. But, so, but, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm good, dude. And I know what you're talking about because I, uh, many years back, um, 2010, I had a brother of mine and he wasn't doing good and he called me and I was like, what the hell do I do? So we hung out and I don't know if we did the right thing, but we had some beers and some whiskey and it was good that night. Okay. Right. So, and, and, and I stayed with him. And then the next day, you know, beginning that night, I had people's, I was texting people, hey, help me out here. So we found him a group, and I actually went to three or four sessions of the group with him. And to this day, he's still among us. So, good, you know. Gary, so uh, real quick, going back to, to your story, uh, you had to go to court. Right. Uh, obviously, you, you lost that fight. Yes. Uh, how, how many years uh, you were sentenced to? I was sentenced to 27 months of prison. Um, and, and, and during, during the court trial, they, uh, the illegal alien that I pushed on the ground couldn't identify me. They, my lawyer had me stand up and he, he didn't say is he in the group, the guy that kicked you in the group, he had me stand up and my lawyer said, is that the man that kicked you? And he looked at me and said, I don't know. I didn't see his face. And then, uh, the, the rookie agent testified that I came up and I kicked him on the ground and I started beating him so hard with my fist that he can hear the guy's breasts coming out. Oof, oof. And then I took another guy, threw him on top of the first guy, punched him several times, and then maybe some punches to a third guy. This is all in trial testimony. 
But the league way then you punched out the rookie too, right? But but, but yeah. even the but even the legal alien goes like, uh, I got no idea what's going on. Yeah, the illegal <laughs> alien said I never punched him. And then the journeyman agent, you know, the, the guy that that was my bro. Um, the journeyman agent says, well, I wasn't there. I was still walking to the scene. I was about 80 yards away. I didn't see him punch anybody, but I heard the kick. He heard the kick from 80, a football field, three quarters of a football field away, heard the kick, but the illegal alien can't remember what side I kicked him on. That's how hard I kicked him. He can't, he can't remember what side I kicked him on. When they asked him, well, where did he kick? He goes, I don't remember. Here or here, I don't remember. I, I remember. I remember. <laughs> no me acuerdo. No sé. No sé, señor. No sé. Tacos, tacos. <laughs> so, so then I was like, okay, so they got nothing. And, and that was it. So to my surprise, they said they want to ad- admit some more evidence. And they went, up to the, they went up to the judge. They approached the bench. I'm like, what's going on? I was saying to the, to the guy helping my attorney, what's going on? He's like, I don't know. My attorney comes back and says, they got the dope smuggler. I was like, What? I was like, what, what's that got to do with this? It's, a, doesn't have, it's not even part of the case. So the, so the government ridded the dope smuggler out of prison, ridded him, you know, filed an official writ, and had him brought across the state, because he was in Pecos, Texas, about a nine-hour drive from Austin, with a U.S. marshal in tow. So when he, uh, and I was, I was adamant, I was with my attorney, I was like, no, you, you can't let it. And they say, he did it, and we're talking. All of a sudden, boom, the door's open, and I look. And just so you can picture this, I was sitting here, prosecutions on the other side, judge and the bench are to my right, doors and the, and the benches, the, the pews are to my left, the doors open, he walks in and he scans the room and he sees me and he locks eyes with me and he starts walking in and the whole time he's walking in, he's eyeballing me and I stood up. I, 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 my lawyer's like, sit down. I was like, get off me. And I stood up and he walked in. I watched him the whole way until he got to the bench and he sat down. And he swore in, well, he swore in, and then he sat down. Once he sat down, I sat down, I crossed my arms, I crossed my legs. And for the next four hours, we were locked. Eye to eye. And every time they asked him a question, he, he was looking at me. They'd ask him a question over here, and he'd be like, turn around, answer the question, come back and look at me for four hours. And then when they were done with him, he got up, walked out, same thing, eyeballing me. I stood up again, and he walked out. And, uh, and the judge struck this from the record, but he asked me, what was that about? And I told him, I said, well, Your Honor, I said, I don't know if anybody's ever tried to kill you, but if they have, and then they put the same person in the room with you, I'm not going to be sitting down. <laughs> you know, I, I don't care. I'm not going to be sitting down. But, uh, and, 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 and that was it. And then something odd happened during the trial. Um, the U.S. attorney, uh, my, my supervisor's, all testified on my behalf. And anybody that knows when you work for an agency, most agencies won't stand behind you if you get brought to a trial. You know, my, my bosses were all on my side. He's a good agent. He's a truthful agent. The government objected to truthful because I hadn't testified at this point. But, you know, and, and, they, and one of my bosses even said, if he's on trial for this, we should all be on trial for this. Right? So while I was on the stand, the U.S. attorney comes up and he says, uh, he says, well, well, why did you have to give him such a, a devastating Gary Brugman kick? He goes, why can't you just put your hands on your shoulders and ask him to sit down? I was like, I'm not doing that. You know, I'm not putting my hands on anybody. There's, there's always a gun. He goes, well, I don't see anybody, anything here about anybody having a gun. I said, I had a gun. You know, he goes, well, was it out? I was like, no, it was holstered. You know, then I said, and what were you worried about? You know, I'm like, because everybody always has a gun. I'm not going to put my hands on him. You know, and, and uh, he says, so you ran up to them and instead of asking them to sit down nicely, you wound your leg up and he, he spreads his legs. He, 
like he's going to kick a field goal. You wound your leg up to Cincinnati and you ran up to him and you're like, so you like to run, huh? And you continue to kick the bejesus out of him with air quotes because that's the word he used, bejesus. You proceeded to kick the bejesus out of him. And I told him, I said, I don't know what comic book you've been reading, sir. I said, but that didn't happen that way. I said, I ran up and I pushed him with the bottom of my foot onto his ass and I asked him why you're running. And he says, well, what do you care why he's running? You're, you're concerned about his health? You're going to put him on an exercise program? And then he goes, you're going to take him for a little jog? You know, I mean, that, that's, that's kind of what the court trial was like for the whole yeah. for four they days. Were, they were trying to get you to lose your, your calm. Yeah. And I didn't. enrage you. Yeah, good that you didn't. But the thing is, Nate, check it out. They had, they had the, they had the uh, Mexican consulate there. They had the, U, they had the U.S. attorney, the assistant U.S. attorney, uh, a couple of helping hands, and they had brought a – uh, civil rights trial lawyer from Washington, D.C., just for me. And his name was Brent Allen Gray. And, now, and Gary, yeah. I hate to tell you this, but at some point, somebody offered you something that you said no to, and they were afraid that you were going to turn them in, and they fucking set you up. I'm sorry. Yeah, I know. Absolutely, because for them to come at you that hard, you're a big fucking deal, bro. I got Honestly. a body of mine, body of mine, Ramses Diaz, and if you dirtbags out there are listening and you got him killed, know that I'm still trying to find out who did it. I'm going to find you. Uh, same thing happened to him. Border Patrol, first assignment, down by El Paso. Mm -hmm. And they offered him some stuff. He said, I don't want to be part of that. They were like, well, everybody here, a little group that was on the take from the other side. <laughs> and uh, they said, he said, no, I don't want to be part of that. Three days later, He shot himself twice in the head, committed suicide. Shot himself twice. twice. <laughs> wow. And it's a suicide, yeah. twice in the head. Yeah, it was yeah. suicide, and Border Patrol left it as that, suicide. Oh, bro, I'm not going to get too into it, but, you know, I told you there's a lot of conspiracy theories that I, I'm not a conspiracy theory guy, but before all I this am. happened, <laughs> before all this happened, in, in October of 2000, I was working the brush. I was in the middle of the brush out, out in uh, South Texas, and I get a call, I get a call on the radio that said that the chief patrol agent at sector, not my patrol agent in charge at my station, the chief patrol agent at sector wanted me at sector. And I'm like, I'm in the middle of the brush. I'm talking about three and a half hour drive at least to get there. And, and they said, stand by. And they came back and they said, start marching. So I was like, all right. So I started, I started marching. And this was, this was uh, we, we had some cell phones back then, but it was like all new then. We, it wasn't really, it was 2000. So, so I get there. And I get to the office, and I, and I really don't, haven't said this much on any interview because I don't have any proof of it. But uh, I walk in there, and there's two FBI guys in there, and they tell me that the Gulf Cartel has put a $2.5 million hit on my head. And they wanted me to go work in Montana. They had just received this information about they've been tracking it for three weeks, and they wanted me to go work in Montana. I was like, you mean like Canada, Montana? It's, like, it's October. It's cold up there. Why can't I go to Miami? They're like, no, no, no. I'm, Because I wanted to drive boats, you know? They're like, no, 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 Miami's compromised. We can't adequately protect you there. And then if you don't take it, we can't adequately protect you here. And I'm like, adequately protect me? You've known about this for three weeks, and you're telling me now? I haven't seen you follow me around in the brush where I just came from in fancy little suits, you know? Well, I said, Chief, do I have to go? And she's like, well, you don't have to do anything. So I was like, all right, I'm staying. Ironically, six months later, all this stuff starts to happen. Right. And, and then after I get hauled away to prison, you know, later, the freaking chief is dead at 52, 53 years old. <laughs> oh, hold on. He hung himself with toilet paper. 
Natural causes. This one was natural causes. <laughs> natural causes twice. Yes, yeah. exactly. So, I mean, but like I said, is that connected? I don't know. I don't, that's why I don't tell it because I'm not. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, still, no. that's odd. Yeah, the guy's odd. a young, young 50-something-year-old and he's dead. So, Gary, we're, we're running out of time here. So, right. there's, there's a few things we want to hit with you. So, you did, yes, your, time, you did your time in, in, in the brick, unfortunately. Uh, you did your time there. You got out. And then ever since... You've been trying and fighting to get a pardon from uh, from the president, right? Uh, so, this is a two-part question. One, yeah. how has been? Uh, have you been mentally right now uh, after you got out of jail and you've been going through all this? You know, you, you've been living uh, in an unjust, freaking, basically incarceration uh, and and trial that you had. And then, and then on top of that, you're 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 trying to clear your name. How how's that been hitting you mentally? And and this what this is about trying to help people uh, get through uh, uh, those PTSD and and things like that. Well, I'll tell you, I got out in uh, 2006, and I've been very fortunate because I've know a lot of people, and uh, and and a lot of my friends or a lot of law enforcement from all across the country. Uh, before I went in, I had founded a, a big motorcycle club called the Iron Pigs, all right? It's the Iron Pigs Motorcycle Club. And it's cops and firefighters and military from around the country. Very, very, very big motorcycle club. And uh, I'm one of the founders. And these guys uh, rallied around me. So when I got out, I had a job and I had, my friends were still there and, and, and everything, but I, I didn't have a purpose. And everybody's always told me, God's got a purpose for you. And, 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 and I couldn't find that purpose. I've tried everything. And because I didn't know what else to do, I worked for the government for seven, almost 17 years, you know? Um, and, and when I first got out, I pretty much wanted to drink my life away. I want, I wanted to, and, and then, you know, a few things happened. I was sober for seven years and, uh, and, 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 but still that, I don't know if that was better or worse because now I have more time to think about what was happening and, and my and I've tried to always move up. And in the meantime, I've gotten uh, my I've gotten uh, my bachelor's degree. I went through, uh, through the VA. I went through Voc Rehab, and I uh, got my bachelor's degree in business administration and management. And uh, I worked out in the oil fields, and I, I did a lot of oil field work. But I could never get past that threshold of laborer. Because I mean, I, I might making good money at one point, but I was always busting my ass because I couldn't get into that management position because of this felony. You know, yeah. I, I couldn't do anything. I couldn't go. I, I, I couldn't even go clean tables for KBR in Afghanistan in a tent because I couldn't get a clearance. Yeah. You know, and, 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 and right now with everything happening in the world, um, I, I want to be a cop more than ever. And if, if President Trump ever gives me this pardon, uh, I hope and pray I will, you know, the first thing I'm going to do is go become a reserve police officer. I'm going to go to the academy become a, because I never finished serving, man. I never, I got, I should have been able, I'm going to be 54 years old. I was eligible for retirement on February 8, February 22nd of 2018. And I have zero, you know, I lost my career. I lost everything. I don't, I don't have nothing. So I need, I need to get back on my feet. And I'm not even worried about that because my thing is, I feel useless, <laughs> you know, I feel useless. I mean, it, 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 it's hard because I'm telling you every day and I think about it, but now with President Trump in office and, and things happening, I have some hope. And my, my attorney, 
who was a professor of law, and he was a, a JAG, uh, JAG attorney for the Army Special Forces, Lieutenant Colonel Jeffrey Atticott. Uh, he, he was a, he's a professor of law at St. Mary's University here in San Antonio, and he's the director of the Warrior Defense Project. And he's the one that filed, he's the war, he's the one that filed my petition, my pardon petition to the president. And uh, he took my case on pro bono because that, that's what they do. Guys that have been caught up in rules of engagement or, or you know, yeah. mistreating, mistreating subordinates or whatever and get falsely charged. That's what they do. So he's taken on my case and, and he's actually helped me quite a bit. But, you know, right now, that's my podcast. I started my podcast as an extension to try to reach the president. And, and now it's just turned into therapy and now I just want to yeah. help veterans and help everybody, man. I want, and, and God, if I ever get my pardon, Hey, I want, I want to help you try to find some kids, man. I mean, that's yeah. what I want to do. You know, I mean, Hell yeah. I, I need a purpose. I don't have a purpose, you know? Uh, so, Gary, you mentioned earlier that, that every day you think about, you know, that, that you don't go through with it, but you, every day you think about, you know, taking a bullet, right? It'd be so easy. Uh, uh, what, it's for the benefit of a lot of people listening to us. When, when that goes through your mind, how do you get it out? How do you not act on it? You go like, okay, I thought about it, but I don't going to act on this. And this is why, I mean, how do you do it? Brother, let me tell you, I, um, I, I pray and I, and I, I put, I, ever since this happened a lot of times and, and, and in the past year, I've had a rough time because, you know, I had, a, I had a beautiful wife and uh, two beautiful girls and, um, and, and we, got, we ended up getting divorced and I lost my whole family overnight. And they were stepdaughters, they were my stepdaughters, but I've raised them. And that, that pushed me over the edge even more. And, and I was like, just, just the thought that I, that I, of doing it made me, made me really want to do it. And I don't have the means to do it, but I, I could find the means. But dude, I would pray and then I would think that life is good. Life, life is good and I'm here for a reason. You know, I'm, everything that happens, happens for a reason because everything, everybody you come in contact, you and me, JP, you've been a big inspiration in my life for the past few months. And, and you know, I'm not going to leave this world without, you know, having a few drinks with you. Shit. <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm not leaving this world without finishing my mission. You know, I'm, I have a mission to complete. I don't know what that mission is, but I have to complete it. And I know that I never finished serving. I know I never finished being a dad. I know I never finished uh, becoming rich. I haven't finished that. That's the whole thing. So, so I take these, I take the bads and I take the goods and I try to focus on the good. All right. And I, and sometimes You know, people say, hey, take it day by day. You know, sometimes I can't take it day by day. Sometimes I take it hour by hour. Sometimes yeah. I'm like, you know what? Let me, let, me, let me get past these next 15 minutes, you know? And, and, and no, I'm not going to drive this truck off this damn bridge, you know? And sometimes you got to take it hour by hour, minute by minute. And day by day is too long, you know? And, and don't think anybody's joking around when they say it because a lot of people laugh when I, when I say it, <laughs> you know? Because well, I don't seem like the guy that would do it. But I, I think that's what it is, Gary, is like when, when you say that, you know, that every day you think about, you know, biting a bullet, nobody will believe you if they see you, right? Because right. they go like, Gary, he's always joking around. Right. Like, so nobody will believe you. But you, when people say that, you got to take it serious mm -hmm. uh, that you do. And, um, and, and, the other, and the other thing is, 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 like I said, I'm a coward. 
I'm a coward. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do it because I'm not afraid of dying. I'm afraid of living. I'm afraid of that consequence, not the other one. Yeah. You know, yeah. that, that's what I'm afraid of. That's why if I had a guaranteed way out and I've come to the conclusion that nobody's bad enough to kill me, even though I was a coastie, nobody's bad enough to kill me, <laughs> including myself, because before I went to prison, I did try it twice, you know, yeah. but, 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 uh, but the first time, the first time I did it, I popped like 57 volumes and, 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 uh, I had, a, I had a girlfriend at the time and I had told her not to come over to, to, I gave her my credit card earlier in the day. I said, go, go eat with your sister. I'm going to take a nap. And she said that didn't sound right. So she came and, and found me and the cops came in through the window because I had locked myself in my room. I was out. And then it wasn't until I got to prison that I found out that 57 volumes ain't a suicide. It's a, it's a Saturday night, but <laughs> <laughs> everybody, everybody was laughing at me in prison. They're like, you think 57 volumes is suicide? I was like, so anyway, but and then another and then another time I, I I I at the time I had I hadn't gone to trial yet but I knew what was coming and I had I had my Glock and I had my Glock and I was drinking I didn't leave my house for eleven days I drank for eleven days and I said I'm gonna do it but I was afraid I was afraid of living so so I went to bed so I went to bed and the gun went off while I was sleeping and yeah because I said you know what I got my hand on the trigger I said this is gonna happen I laid it right here and somehow I rolled over and boom and. Missed again. I was like, you know what? All right, this this ain't gonna work. You're a big fucker. <laughs> and I told you, I haven't done it because I'm a coward, bro. And I can't even up. do this shit right. <laughs> I know, I know, and 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 that's the truth. And and if somebody talks to you about it, means they're crying out, bro. Yeah. Well, you know what, out. Gary? I, I'm glad that it it didn't work for you, and I'm glad that you're still here because I'm just be like you said, man, you got a purpose. You might not know what that purpose is right now, but you got it. You know, it, it's, uh, we all been through that. You know, when, when I got out, I was all messed up, all messed up from my accident and all that. And I'm like, I suck. Mm -hmm. And uh, and everybody goes like, you, there's a purpose for you, your piano. Like, yeah, fucking staying at home and right. drinking. <laughs> That's my right, purpose right. right now, right? But you know what, it, it, you got to find it. But I'm, I'm glad that you realize that, that you know you got a purpose. You don't know what it is. You got to right. find it, but but you got it. And you got, that's something to live for. Question for you. So you got the uh, GaryBrockman.com, right? Uh, that you got information oh, about you in your website. But how can people help you? If there's any way to help you uh, to try, you know, with your pardon request. If there's any way that people out there can help you or just spreading, spreading the message out. I mean, how can, how can people help? Man, uh, if you can share my podcast. My podcast is the Gary Brugman podcast. It's available on all platforms. Uh, where you can search it and it'll show up everywhere. I'm on like 12 different platforms. Uh, you can go to Heroes Media Group and listen to it there or on my website. There's a link to it there. You can Google me on, uh, you, you can search me on YouTube because I'm doing this little video podcast now. I'm working on that, trying to make it better. And, um, and, and as far as help, help me get the word out, man, I mean, a lot, a lot of people have some connections. If you have any connections to, to the Trumps, to Donald, Eric, uh, anybody, You know, I'm trying to get to their dad to see if he can get to my case because I don't want to become a statistic. You know, the, the, the office of the pardon attorney is behind pardons, like 25,000 pardons, you know. And, yeah. and, and out in, in a world that in the, in the age where nobody wants to be a cop, that's where I want, I want to go back, you know, and I want to finish serving my country. And if I get this pardon from President Trump, I, I'm going to make him proud. I'm going to make him completely proud of, of, of signing his pardon, man, because, I mean, it's, it's, it's what I was meant to do, you know. So, and, 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 and that's about it, man. I mean, it's, we need to love each other and spread the word. You know I mean? I, I know people that 
were that, that know Donald Trump Jr. And I can't get them to say a word, <laughs> you know? So, yeah. but, but it, it's, it's just difficult that way. But yeah, man, my, my podcast is available everywhere. And, uh, and it's a little, it gets a little crazy sometimes. My partner gets a little out of hand, but it's, it's awesome. <laughs> I love him. You gotta, you gotta love Big Daddy Roughneck. Oh, oh big, big, hello, hello, he's Big Daddy Roughneck. That's right, that's right. AJP, one more thing real quick. Yeah. How about that test? How about that test taking number one at the tactical games? Dude, I'll tell you what. Uh, uh, I saw it in the, in the Instagram for the tactical games. And then uh, I sent her a message and I said, yep. I'm, I'm proud of you because I'm the one that gives you the lock just by you knowing me. But no, no I, didn't, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. <laughs> but no, but I, I'm proud of her. I mean, Tess has uh, been, been competing in the tactical games ever since since. I know, you know, I, I've been in the tactical games almost, let me see, uh, except for the first initial tactical games. I've been in every single one, except right. for this last one, I didn't go. But Intess has been there in almost all of them. Um, uh, right. I mean, she missed a few, but uh, every time, right, Mike? Every time, Nate, she kicks yep. ass. Yep. She goes out there and she kicks ass. It's just... Dude, just I'm so amazing proud of her. That, that, that was awesome when I saw I knew she was gonna do it. I knew it. She she was all pumped up for it and everything. I knew she was gonna do it. So yeah. I, but, what, dude, but, but, how, what's with the pocket JP? How come they're in the pocket Gary Brugman? I mean, <laughs> shit. Oh you you have a pocket Gary Brugman somewhere. Uh, you know what? I'm gonna print print you out, bro. I'm gonna print you out and take you around. I can't hear Mike. Hey Mike, we can't hear you. So I'm gonna I'm gonna speak for Mike. Okay, okay. You guys are all <laughs> handsome. <laughs> no, Mike was probably making fun of Pocket JP. I know Mike. Yeah. That's yeah, what probably he was doing. That's probably what he was doing. That's why I did that mic check earlier. <laughs> no, I, I think when he connected back, uh, his it audio needed. got messed up. Yeah. Pocket no Mike. Yes, oh. that's gonna be a patch too. Oh, hold on, hold on. Pocket no Mike. Give, before we leave this podcast, give me 30 seconds. I'm going to show you Mike and Nate. Okay. Oh, shit. All right. Now that JP's not here, we'll actually start the show. I know, right? So <laughs> thanks for having me. <laughs> right? Yeah. No, the Gary, ratings just start going up. Yeah. Uh, Gary, you've got uh, quite, the, quite the story, bro. I, I think there's some similarities to certain degrees about uh, the paths that we've had to walk. And uh, I look forward to helping you with your show in any way I can. I appreciate it, man. Thank you very much. Yeah. And as for your purpose, your purpose is actually to be a light to those that think that their life sucks until they see what we've been through and then go, oh, shit, it ain't that bad. Right. Exactly. Life is good, man. Yeah. Is good. Compared to what we've been through and what we've had to walk through, people look at us and go, ah, because the grass ain't green on our side of the fence. And, and I look at others. And I'm like, man, I'm glad I'm not there. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. I'm Mike Pitakura. Let me tell you something. You need to buy my you need to buy my ammo bags in Sulu Ups. Go buy my ammo bags, the, the bags bags in the market. And let me tell you, I'm gonna shoot you. And you know who he's talking to? He's talking to Nate. Hey, what? Yeah, you gonna shoot me? Can you what? at least put some pants on me? <laughs> Are you wearing pants so, now? So Javi is trying to find a little uh kind of like this same size from this gnome. Uh, you know, for the gardens, he's trying to find a little Mexican with a Mexican hat and stuff Hold like on. that. You have your gardener <laughs> to, looking for to, gnomes for you to to put all three of us 
Go like, this is JP, the little Mexican gardener. This is freaking Mike and this is Nate. <laughs> Anyways, hey, Gary. Uh, I, I was going to ask Mike if he got anything for Gary, but Mike got no audio. So uh, you, can, you can type it there. You got anything for Gary, Mike? Let's see if you got. Let's see if you got any questions for you before you leave. Nah. Oh, he said, "Nah, great having you on the show, Gary." Hey, brother, uh, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Hey, Gary, like Nate just told you, man, you you got a purpose. You you just got to find that. I know, I know, you're all already doing it, man. Because what you're doing with your podcast is amazing. I'm uh, trying. Anybody out there that can have any connections with the administration. Uh, GaryBrockman.com. You can find Gary's information. You can go to Instagram, uh, Gary Brockman, uh, USCG. Yes, that's or, it. Or the Gary Brockman podcast, also on Instagram. You can find him there. Uh, remember to follow right here, my my buddy Mike Sulu Ops. Make sure you you follow Mike and buy his ammo bags because they're amazing. Uh, Gary, we really appreciate you being on the show. Uh, it's been a pleasure. It, it, your story is crazy and amazing at the same time. But on top of that, you know, I think that everything that you said about how you are uh, overcoming uh, this urge of just, you know, giving up and saying, fuck it, I'm done. Uh, and that's what we try to push in this show is mm -hmm. that no, no matter what you're going through, don't cash out. You, you just, there's so many other things to live for. Uh, a lot of people ask me all the time, hey, how are you doing today? I'm like, I fucking opened my eyes. I woke up. So started. I started good already. <laughs> right? <laughs> Nate, take us out, brother. Thank you to our main sponsors. NOS Defiance Group, LLC, Uptown Auto Glass, and ATAX Camera. Oh, This song is for you